and welcome to episode 102 of the Random Channel Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode, uh, it's Comic-Con themed. It's called Comic-Con 2015 Assemble. And uh, I'm going to be up front. It's a weird episode. We, on one hand, we have the exciting hands-on impressions of all sorts of games now had at Comic-Con, along with um, some late round two impressions from E3, including Star Fox Zero and Mario Tennis. We also have some news. We also have the winner of our Amiibo giveaway. But on the other hand, we are recording this about six hours after word was got out that uh, Satoru, Iwata, Satoru Iwata, Nintendo's global president, passed away unexpectedly. So, it's a bit of a mishmash of an episode, but uh, we figured we should probably start talking about Iwata, and then from there we can move on to happier things, which are the games that Nintendo makes, because he was a game designer to start with, so we might as well... Like, we don't want to... Nintendo's still going to go on, but he obviously was an important part of it, so we should talk about it a little, but there, you know, there's other things happening. So, for those who didn't hear, well, I guess you now know, um, he... I, I, I was sick for about a year, he had a, a bile duct uh, growth, had removed, uh, had surgery, recovered, was seen in public as recently as two weeks ago at their investor meeting, which we're going to talk about some comments he made there. And then, um, I, I don't know what exactly happened. It just, I don't know where, I guess, he either kept it quiet or, I'm not sure, but long story short, um, yeah, he so passed away. What? Maya. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say he passed away, and um, now here we are with of the like holy trinity of the big three of Nintendo, Reggie, Miyamoto, Iwata, in terms of their public facing stuff. We're we're now down to two, which is strange. Um, I mean, for me personally, I like Iwata was a huge part of what made me like uh, th- his work and him was a huge part of like my Nintendo fandom. Like he came in in two thousand two or three, I don't remember which, and basically took over for, um, I think I butchered his last name, but Yama, Yamaguchi, um, the, the foreign town president who actually is still alive, and we're, or no, he's not, just kidding, he is not, but um, he passed away a few years ago. But yeah, so he took over, He the GameCube was kind of the first thing under Wada's watch, and obviously didn't do so well, but then he the, he's the one that implemented the idea of Blue Ocean strategy, and this idea that, like, okay, maybe we don't go chasing after the, like, the super powerful systems, you know, maybe we don't make uh, something comparable to 360 and PS3 while we do the Wii. And obviously that worked amazingly well for Nintendo, and he really turned around the company and the DS as well. But then now, then we had the Wii U and the 3DS, which was a little less so. But I think his legacy, his legacy overall, like, he was a huge part of the company. And, like, if you've ever played a Kirby game, Earthbound, uh, Balloon Trip, Balloon Fight? Balloon Fight. Balloon Fight. Uh, you know, he had a hand... Uh, he. This is a guy who, like... If Pokemon I, Soul Silver, apparently. What? Well, Pokemon Silver, Gold and Silver. Yeah. He, and he's the guy who, if I... Pokemon Stadium. Yes, that's what I was about to say, is if I read this correctly, or if this is true, he started building Pokemon Stadium. He used to work at, for those who don't know, he started as a developer, like an actual game developer at HAL Laboratory, and then worked his way up the chain and eventually became CEO of Nintendo and president. But uh, he, when he was still a developer, he actually started building Pokemon Stadium by himself on the side just for fun, and I'm like, you know what? Get pitches to these guys and went to them and then got greenlit and finished the game. So like he is a developer to to his core and like I feel like it came across like he was not just a suit. He was super passionate about games. So I don't know. It's definitely a huge loss. It 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 kind of raises some questions about where Nintendo will go next. Um, I don't know. To me, I feel like 
Yeah, like how much will Nintendo actually stick with exactly what he said? Or yeah, because like as well as we're gonna talk about later in the show, but as well as two weeks ago, he was talking about like the NX and like this and the next thing. I know it's a little, I want to say cast, but it's a little weird to like be like, oh yeah, it's been literally seven hours since we got out, and uh, we're already talking about what's it mean for Nintendo. But I mean, this man, what he, Nintendo was him, he was Nintendo. It was like. There was no divide, so I feel like it's not inappropriate to do this, but it is a little strange. But yeah, it's um. For me, the first thing, um, because he was making, because he was talking about these plans that he had for Nintendo, he wouldn't have said these plans for Nintendo out in public if mm-hmm. his committee hadn't already kind of agreed with them, right? So yeah, he has a team. I so know. so things will, a lot of these things will be moving forward. It's just a matter of what will happen in ten years or something that will be like yeah. way different. Yeah, it's a bigger like. It's a long-term shift. I mean, you saw it with Iwata initially. GameCube came out, he supported that. Game Boy Advance supported that. Those are about, like, how much power can you cram in those systems. And then he's like, you know what? We should pivot. And they pivoted. And it worked. And then he tried to go down that path. It didn't work as well. So now the NX is pivot number two. And we don't know what that will be, but Iwata and his his team of corporate execs, Miyamoto and Reggie, everyone, like, hey, well, Reggie less so. I know he doesn't do much. But they had a... They have a game plan. It's going to implement. So I think day-to-day operations on Nintendo will be basically the same. But nonetheless, he was quite the legend in the industry. And f- from everything I've read, he's a super nice guy. And, like, I mean, when we, we had that weird um, thing a couple of years ago, we were walking around E3 doing one of those pre-3 photo safaris of sorts that we do and put on the site for anyone who's, you know, checked out ramtown.com. And uh, we saw them crossing the street. And, like... I'd say Re- Reggie's the one actually stopped took a picture with us, but Miyamo gave kind of a funny way. But Wada had this look on his face, it's kind of like, "Oh, hey, there's actually people here that want to see it." Like, okay, but he didn't he didn't stop because they had to be whisked away somewhere. But he looked appreciative of it, I guess. I don't know. That's my only real Wada story, but yeah, it's it's it was very surprising news. So not much more to say except you know, um, I don't know what, but condolences to his family yeah. and to everyone at Nintendo. And, you know, as... as I think it's crazy that this happened. Because like, we were, like, literally in the middle of just, like... We were leaving Comic-Con. Yeah, we were leaving Comic-Con. I, I was, like, literally typing, like, 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 oh, I just had a great Comic-Con. Like, facing that tweet. And then, like, it just like, pops up in the corner. And I'm all, like... Well, it wasn't even, like, on Twitter that I saw. I saw it on, on Facebook in, um, like, the Smash Bros. group. And usually they're known, like, for... Sometimes they'll post, like, a lot of, like, fake news and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it's calling them all, like, oh, I wonder if this true tonight. I saw Jason. And he was, like, oh, that's a joke, right? Like, yeah, that, I didn't believe it. I mean, this dude, I mean, he had a hand in Kirby, he had a hurt. I know I said this already, but like, I, Kirby, Kirby's Adventure 2 was my first Game Boy game. Um, my Game Boy was my first system. He helped develop that. Like, ever since I started being a Nintendo fan, he, his hand was in it in some way. So like, it's really, really strange that it, he just suddenly like passed away like this. Like, it's. I can't quite wrap my head around it. Like, the only... I don't usually get, like... Unless it's someone I know personally, I don't usually get, like... Like, if someone passed away, I'm just like, oh, okay. But, like, I, Steve Jobs kind of hit me a little because, like, I'm a bit of an Apple nerd. But this one's, like, this one's surprising. Like, I was like, oh, uh, okay. Like, I, it kind of hit me hard than I thought because, like, Nintendo is, like, me. Like, it's, I'm intertwined to some extent. Like, I... That's so much of my life and my person... And my interest and who I am. Like, Nintendo nerd. So... It is strange. It is strange. But we, you know, we, we wish the best, I guess, to Nintendo and to his family and everything. And we're going to talk about happier things because I feel like, as a, I mean, I, again, we didn't personally know him. But as a guy who started as a game designer and even when he was at the top, there's quotes that people are passing around tonight on Twitter of, like, 
you know, him talk about, like, oh, my business card may say president, but at heart I'm a game star, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like if there's any episode we have that happens to be the one, you know, like this situation, it's nice that's when we get to get excited about upcoming Nintendo games and their slate and things that I imagine he and everyone else at Nintendo was hoping were we would like to play. So, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard to transition from this. But with that said, let, let's talk Comic-Con, I guess. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be weird later in the show, because uh, we're going to be talking about things a lot of said as recently as two weeks ago, when he seemed fine, so, at least publicly. So, we'll, it's not like we could just go like, oh, yep, that we covered that, moving on. It's definitely going to weave throughout the episode. But, in terms of games we played and stuff we did, um, there were timestamps up for com for this blog post, or for this episode on the blog post, which is episode 102. Uh, so go check that out if you want to find a specific game. Otherwise, we're just going to run through both what we played at ConCon and some more of what I played at E3. We have some news to discuss as well, and as I mentioned at the top of this, we have the Amiibo, the Robin Amiibo giveaway winner, so you don't want to miss that. We actually got a really good response, like way more entries than I expected, so thanks for entering everyone, and that'll be at the very end. So, uh, yeah, let's start with, let's start with, uh, the Comic-Con news. Ah, it's so weird to transition like this, just to be like, so that happened, anyway, but, like, it, I don't know, it's, oh. it's weird, because it's such a big thing, like, he was... Him and Miyamoto are like the Nintendo. I, I'm not to discredit like Tezuka or any of the other major game designers, but these those two are the public facing. Like, like what happens to Iwata asks on Nintendo.com? Where where do those go? What do those become? And are there run, ones written for upcoming games, or are you still gonna publish them? Or like Nintendo Directs, who's gonna do that? He already stepped away, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's these should be the least important concerns right now, given the circumstances. But just like as a Nintendo fan, I'm just wondering where things are going to go, but... Guess we'll see. Yeah, time time will tell. But anyway, no, seriously, let's, let's talk games. So, uh, some, we both played a lot of Con Con, I played some other stuff, you played some other stuff, so let's start from what we both played, which is uh, Chibi Robo Zipline, which I had the chance to play at E3 and at Con Con, so I got to try a few different levels. And, um, you know, it's interesting because, like, I... Uh-huh. My attitude about the game when it was announced was, this isn't Chibi-Robo. And my attitude after playing the game was like, well, this isn't Chibi-Robo. But yet somehow it still kind of feels like Chibi-Robo, and I still actually really like it. So, I, I mean, it's uh, uh, in terms of personality, I think that's what shines through. Because it definitely, as you play it, you're playing, honestly, if anything, it feels like Yoshi's Island. Like, the way you have to pivot his, uh, so for those who don't know, it's a side-scoring platformer. Use his cord as a whip or a whatever. Or a, people a really grapple. seem to struggle with that. I saw multiple people. I mean, maybe they don't play too many video games, or mm-hmm. I don't know. But basically, for anything that like doesn't matter, where you just run and jump, essentially. Yeah. This one, people really struggled using that zip cord. Like they just couldn't figure out that you could hold Y, or they would forget that you could hold Y mm-hmm. to pretty much angle it anywhere you want. Well, there's two different or zips. You, so or you could press X to just do a straight zip, or one at, at like a 45 degree angle. One of and the tricky thing is one of them has like a aiming cursor, so you can actually like there's parts where you have to zigzag the zip line up and like up a thing, yeah. You know, like wall wall jump it essentially, and that one you can use a cursor, but then if you do the other one, it doesn't have the cursor, so people are getting mixed up because one of them's technically the zip lash and the other's just the like the cord, so they're a little different. But yeah, it's like people keep forgetting there's both options. I forgot for like half a level that there are both options. Yeah, or just like people just get getting lost. Like there's a there's a section of the game where. Um, not just in the demo, because like, yeah. it, it's like the first level, like everyone has to play the first level. You pretty much run all the way to the right as you would in a traditional platformer. Mm-hmm. But then there's a point where you have to go back to the left and you have to like jump off, kind of like, it looks almost like a leap of faith kind of jump. And then you're kind of backtracking. 
and then you have to use by that point your super long zip line to reach a platform you couldn't have reached before yeah but I noticed a lot of people like they would get to that edge where you would have to jump back down and they would just run back and then they would just like keep going to the right and trying to force their way to the right and they just can't because there's yeah. just a giant wall there yeah. so they would just sit there for the longest and I saw them to the right at least like four or five times like to like, different people just saying like nope you have to go that way they're like are you sure and I'm like well yeah he's in the center rope of course he knows you have to go that way <laughs> Yeah, but so, did, did you get? The, I thought it was interesting. Just like you add two more controls, or just like make something go left, and uh, and people like, get very confused. It's interesting seems like people get lost. But. Did you did you get the Yoshi's Island vibe that I got from it? Not entirely, but just the way you aim, like the whole like you're constantly moving while aiming the the zip line remind me so much of the egg tossing. I guess not. Really? I, even it, even because it even has the little like cursor indicator of the angle. Well, it's just like, I, I, I guess because Yoshi's cursor moves automatically and you can't really right, aim it. Right. Um, and that's um, there is one Yoshi's Island game where you could oh that was um Yoshi's Story but um maybe I think more Yoshi's Story then but it definitely gave me a Yoshi oh uh, I don't know to me it just felt like it's own game um it didn't even feel like I was playing Chibi Robo like at some point like I just forgot I was playing Chibi Robo I just felt like I'm just playing a platformer with um a whip yeah. as the the focus it's funny because that that's kind of what I was getting at. I was like it feels like Chibi Robo but it doesn't because gameplay wise it doesn't oh yeah personality wise even, I feel like did you find there, the little hidden airplane guy and some of the other stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. he is straight out of a Chibi Robo game. No, that's he like, needs to eat sandwiches out of the sky or something like that. Like it's just he's like the personality is like it's like sprinkled there. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to say sprinkled there because it's like wait, which which level did you? Play? Could you get it? Um, I played all. You did all six. Yeah. Okay. Even the boss battle. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, definitely like sprinkled on there because it's like. Platform, 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 and then you get like this little like, oh, that's right, I'm playing Chibi Robo. Yeah, and it does have weird little reminders like, oh, hey, here's a piece of trash. Why don't you uh, stick it in your head like yeah. Chibi? Because Chibi Robo is definitely it was <clears throat> it was like I would say ninety like percent just conversing. Yeah. So it's kind of oh, you kind of forget because you're platforming. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like enough of it shines through that I'm kind of like, all right, sure. But yeah. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. It was a fun game. Like I could. It's a it's a yeah. solid platformer. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely fun. And and yeah, just to be clear. Um, I'm saying it reminds me of Yoshi's Island. I don't mean it is Yoshi's Island. I mean just like the mechanic is somewhat similar. It's like Bionic Commando and Yoshi kind of mashed together with cleaning up trash. But uh, the reasoning, the law. So apparently, the premise of the game is that um, Earth's natural natural resources are depleting, and this is because of an alien invasion bear with me. So Chibi Robo decides, I'm done cleaning houses, I'm done cleaning parks, I'm gonna go clean up the alien invasion and save the world. So they're trying to make it make sense in the Chibi Robo world. Well, I mean, aliens have been an established thing for a while. Yeah, yeah, but just the idea that he's like, oh, I'm just cleaning up the world instead of a house. Like, it's kind of... Yeah, it's kind of weird. It kind of fits? It kind of makes sense? To be, well, I mean, I don't know how long they changed like, what the origin of the character is, but I mean, for the while, he's just supposed to be something you buy at a store... That it's literally no, programmed to do what its assignment is. So to hear that Chibi Robo oh, on yeah. its own is going like all Toy Story on us. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Well, yeah, but I mean, in uh, Park Patrol, I think he was a little more... Oh, no, he was programmed as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess he came mind to his own. Yeah, yeah or maybe someone built him. Maybe Orange... Oh, what's the name of the company? Orange Crest? The fake company in the game. Maybe they are the ones that are like, oh, we're building him to save the world, so he yeah. goes to save the world. In terms of why they're doing this type of game for, um... 3DS? For, no, 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 as a platformer in general. Like, in the game world, it's like, oh, it's because he has to save the world, but the reason they're going platform route is exactly what we always thought was exposure. 
Nintendo and Skip really like Chibi Robo, and there's and the developers saying to Nintendo World Report, uh, like in an E3 interview I was reading, that um, quite frankly, this is just to make it easier to sell the game. And they were also saying, kind of interesting, in that same interview, that um, like in Pikmin, I mean, one of the things about the game to me that I noticed in the demo that kind of makes it feel more like Chibi Robo is that sense of scale. Like you're walking around and everything does feel tiny. There's like giant things you see, and there's branded things throughout the game yeah. and that sort of thing. They actually, through NOA, through NOE, through NCL in Japan, the developers actually reached out to over 30 different real companies to put their real products into the game Lucky. in a very Pikmin 2-esque way. Yeah. So that's another thing from that interview, but it's just kind of like, um, kind of, that's, I think that's more what I meant by the personality shining through. It's like, they did that, and they have like, you know, some weird talking airplanes, and they have... They still have, like, the gibberish voices and everything. So it's, it's, it's like, it's, it has its feet in two different doors at the same time, but one I foot in each door. Telly. But, yeah, Telly. The, the replacement, like, the cell phone one from Chibi Robo's Snap Attack? Snap Attack? It's, um, Photo Finder, yeah. Yeah, and, like, it, was like a, it looked like a cell phone kind of thing, and then now you have a... Tablet. Wasn't there a tablet? I think in a different game. I, think it was a different I don't game. know. He was also kind of different. I don't know. This one, he looks like spherical. I don't know. He looks kind of weird. Mm, mm, mm. Was it still Telly in um, Park Patrol? In Park Patrol? Or was I it? don't think it was Telly. No, I think it was something. I don't Each game has a different assistant, yeah, I think. But uh, but yeah, I think overall, Chibi Robo, um, Ziplash is solid, pretty solid platform. It's going to be fun. I'm, I'm, I'm picking it up for sure. But. but that's because I'm a Chibi Robo fan. And honestly, if this is what it takes to get more people like Chibi Robo, and then they can maybe take him back to his roots once sales are up and he's more recognized I am 100% okay with I'm that I'm next you're gonna be cleaning up a mansion just imagine getting up those stairs oh that's gonna be so great and you literally have to get up every single step half an hour just to climb a staircase that's some riveting gameplay right there you get up there and you're like oh no I'm almost out of battery I don't wanna make that yeah <laughs> but um another game that was there actually this one was playable for the first time in English at Comic Con um, is Yokoi Watch, which you def- definitely got a better experience than me because I only got to play like five minutes of it. But I don't know if you want to walk people through how it is and isn't like Pokemon because at first glance it is extremely similar to Pokemon. And even while you're playing, it's it, like the more you play it, the more it feels Except like Pokemon. Except the wheel thing. Yeah, it's just like it's Pokemon with a with a twist, really, like literally. Yeah. Ha. Um, uh-huh. So essentially, like you play as a little boy, um, mm-hmm. you get a little. The object of the game is just like to like defeat ghosts, capture ghosts, and you're like you have a team of six ghost partners and battles I guess um they're they're somewhat turn based but they're more like um what's that game? I guess kinda of like Bravely Default. Oh yeah yeah. And since yeah. and since that like everything is kind of on a timer, like the the enemies attack like on a fixed like at a fixed rate so they, they don't necessarily wait for you and your attacks all kind of happen all at the same time you can just choose who you want to target and um and all six ghosts yeah all six ghost partners are active at once but only three are actually attacking your opponent because you can only see three on the screen the other three are below the screen and on the touch screen you have this wheel that has an image of of every single one of your partners, and you can rotate that screen it's to... Like a wheel of fortune spinner to give yeah. people an idea of how it looks. And you could, Yeah, exactly. It just spins into six sections, and you could rotate that wheel so that you could have different members active at that time. So if you want to, maybe, if one of them's about to die, you could, like, rotate that one out to heal them while other ones are fighting, mm-hmm. or maybe, like, 
different weakness and combination. Maybe you want to heal your team, you can rotate that one in. And they also have like different, um, they're like kind of mini game esque things like to give you a really powerful attack. Like for example, your little cat buddy. If you tap, if you do your synchronization attack, you tap your, you tap that button, and then you tap the cat, and it'll tell you when it's ready. It'll say ready, and you tap it, and then you either have to trade some symbols to power it up, or tap some bubbles, or just or spin, spin the circle. Yeah, spin it like a Libby Dijin style. Yeah, and then they'll do like a really powerful attack that'll attack everyone for massive damage. And uh, I guess what I thought was kind of like interesting or fun was um, as you're running around, you have like this little meter that. Kind of like in Luigi's Mansion, where like whenever you're near a boo, because part of the game was like finding boos, um, there's a meter that like rises, and then like when it gets to that little red zone, it's like oh, there's a ghost nearby, and that's when you have to bring out your tracker, and it's kind of like a magnifying glass. You have to use a touchscreen or the circle pads to move it around, and when you find the ghost, you have to keep it on there for a little while so that it appears, and then you can battle him. And yeah, a little, a little meter pops up around, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like a little meter like encompasses the circle that you find the ghost in. Yeah. Sometimes they'll move around to try to lose you, but most of the time they'll stay stationary. And, yeah, I mean, it was fun. Like, dialogue, like, progressively you expect, like, in a Pokemon game. Um, yeah. I did I yeah. did like the, like, having to find the ghost thing, because it... It made it different enough, because, like, Pokemon, you just walk into some bushes and maybe you'll find a ghost, but this one is actually, like, you're doing something to find it. I yeah. mean, it's still a little, I mean, like, like, oh, where where in this room are they? Where in the bush is the Pokemon? But... Yeah, like, random encounters like, are fine yeah. for Pokemon, like, when the game works for it, but this one kind of makes not exactly random encounters work. I mean, I don't know. I like how it is. Like, it makes it feel not as random. It makes it feel like you're actually doing something to find them. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, because yeah, I, uh... One thing I found that kind of interesting is just how much it relies on the 3DS, actually, is what, is what I was going to say. Um, just like, because I, you know, I picked it up, and I'm like, okay, this is just going to be like Pokemon, you know, there's a menu on the bottom screen, game on the top screen. By the way, the 3D effects look really nice. It's very uh, crisp graphics. And the then... The game looks really nice. Yeah, the game overall. looks really nice. And then, um, yeah, and then it's like, draw this, spin that, do this, do the next thing. I'm like, wait a minute, this is actually like built for the 3DS. Like, this isn't easily going anywhere unless they do like a fake split screen on an iPhone or something so that that was kind of a pleasant surprise but it seems like from the few minutes I played and from what you're saying yeah like a quick impression of it pretty much tells you that this game could get really really good like later on like once like, you have like a much more developed team once yeah. like bosses get a lot more complicated and I suspect Nintendo's banking on that because I suspect well I mean in Japan it's already out so people already know but based on you know here in the west we haven't played it my suspicion is not only in how Nintendo's rolling it out are they modeling after Pokemon, but I think when Level 5 developed the game, they modeled it after Pokemon in terms of progression. So I imagine, ultimately... Because even just, like, the game opens, you're in a town. You're in your room, in a town, and you walk outside. It's very Pallet Town-esque. Like, everything's very... So I suspect that um, the game's going to ramp up in the same way as Pokemon. So yeah, I think later on you're in for an actual experience. A real, like, game that has some meat on its bones, opposed to just, like, a anime tie-in. Yeah. Yeah, but it's supposed to be interesting. They're big holiday titles, so they're going to be pushing it really hard. And um, speaking of anime titles, or anime uh, tie-ins, the other premiere debut uh, demo at Comic-Con was for LBX Little Battlers Extreme, which is Nintendo going, Hey, you know Custom Robo? Yeah, we're not doing that. We're just licensing this. So, um... How Nintendo did is very much like how they did Splatoon at E3 last year, or how they did Metroid Prime Federation Force, which we talked about last episode, 
at E3 this year, and that was they did three-on-three battles. So, you uh, how it was how it worked is they only had multiplayer available. You did not get to pick your guy. You just kind of got plopped in to a battle, and it is in one of five different maps. And it is pretty much if your Koi watches Pokemon. This is Custom Robo in terms of like like what your Koi watch is to Pokemon. This is to Custom Robo in terms of like it's very similar. Has a lot of um, the same. It's like the same gameplay beats kind of, but then there's just enough differentiation that you're like, well, I guess it's its own thing. So in the case of LBX, at least from what I played, um, you are still in an arena. So for those who haven't played Custom Robo, basically how it works is you and another person find an arena. It's like you and another robot. In the concept of the game, they're these baby rope, these tiny little robots. You could argue they are little battlers, and they do extreme things. But uh, they're these tiny little robots in Custom Robo, and you put them in an arena, and they duke it out, and it's one-on-one. Uh, I think it actually can support multiple people in the same arena. Um, little Bowser Extreme is the exact same idea, but its premise is you put a whole bunch of them in there. So you're only controlling one, and you're controlling it directly, but you can have that team, and it does involve a little strategy, and the Nintendo Raps are really encouraging people to, like, you know, be strategic. So they have one guy up high sniping, you have another guy down below doing melee attacks. And, I mean, it, it's basically it's basically custom robo. It just feels not quite as... I don't know, something's missing. I think the the levels were a little barren. Maybe, I it, I would say it's early in development, but it's really not. It's out in a month. But the, um, the levels... I don't know, did you get this impression? That the levels just kind of felt like... Like, they had, like, hills and valleys, but there was, like, no... There's nothing in them. They're just like random polygonal, like waves of things. I didn't get to play it. Oh, you didn't um, play it. You just watched. But I did watch a few rounds, and um, just like from like first impressions, they're like it. It could easily be mistaken for Custom Robo. Oh, it's totally Custom Robo. But then um, when I looked at videos of Custom Robo, I was like, huh, this has more terrain options. Yeah. More, or a lot more like. Um, things are constructed on the set, like, to, like there's, like, barricades, there's, like... You can take cover, you hover over things. Like, Custom Robo, a big part of Custom Robo that LBX doesn't have is you can have... Well, let me rephrase, that the LBX demo didn't have, is you can have a jetpack and actually hover above the stage and shoot down. This one, you can jump, but you're not hovering. And that, you, that sounds like a minuscule thing, but that's just an extra layer of strategy to use in Custom Robo. And this one, it's like... Well, I'm over here on top of this hill, and you're down there at the bottom of that hill, so I guess I'll shoot my gun at you, and I'll probably have an advantage, and that's, like, as far as it goes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's by no means, um, not fun. I really, I did enjoy it, but I, I kind of, at the same time, wish it was Custom Robo instead. Now, with that said, we did not get to try single player. Single player, there's over, like, 1,500 customizations or something like that, um, 300 parts, so, I mean, Custom Robo had the same staggering stats. So it really just boils down to how the pro- what the flow of single player is like and what the progression is. And I guess its big differential is the fact that you can have... That there's many bots in the battle, not just yeah. one or two. So, I, I don't know. I wasn't blown away by it, like it, it, but it could still be fun. I mean, I think Custom Robo is not something Nintendo's going to do anytime soon. So I might buy this to fill the void. We'll see how much how heavy-handed some of the anime time stuff is, but... um. Yeah, my impression walking away was, that was fun for five minutes. So, I, I don't know. But, well, time will tell. Um, but before I get to the the belated E3 impressions, uh, real quick, as you could tell from what we're talking about, and we said it, we were at Comic-Con. It's always worth, you know, talking about Comic-Con for a minute. So, Angel, how was your Comic-Con this year? Tiring, <laughs> a lot of walking, 
a lot of collectibles. First time I budgeted out for over a year, like just to have a ton of like, like a ton of time, like to actually get all the things I want. Mm-hmm. Still took me a few days to get a lot of the figures I want. I was able to get my exclusive Devastator, uh, Leonardo, Transformer for those you know. Yeah, Transformer. Um, it was fun. Got to watch some live improv of a TV show. Oh my god, that was so good. The Rick and Morty thing. So for those who don't watch Adult Swim's Rick and Morty, go watch Adult Swim's Rick and Morty. It's like, it's so good. And we had the opportunity to go to this. Basically, they did a preview event for the show. But the episodes they were going to show got leaked online. So they decided, you know what? We're just going to make up a show on the spot. So they, uh, the creators of the show, along with Seth Green of Robot Chicken, and, uh, yeah, actually, I think that was it, just did a... What forty minute on the fly made up Rick and Morty where they were doing the one person was doing the voices one person was doing was Dan Harmon creator community as well as doing the stage directions they had Seth Green and um forgot the other guy's name the third guy involved with uh Rick and Morty no the third guy uh, uh, Ryan oh, Ryan uh, something yeah, right. but yeah they were all like doing like extra characters it was insanity and it was amazing but yeah um. That's the fun thing about Comic Con is those experiences like that. Like, because you're saying you focus so much on collectibles. For those who have never been. No, like, I also went to um, the panel today for uh, Nickelodeon show called Sanjay and, Craig, Sanjay and Craig. Yeah. And in addition to just showing us a brand new episode and, um, yeah. among, among other things, they also, um, they also did a live reading of an episode. Oh, like, that's always fun, the table read. And, um, yeah, it was a table read of an episode yeah. that hasn't come out yet. And, I don't know, it was just really cool. Like, it wasn't improv, but um, it was just cool. And, like, seeing them doing the voice acting, like, on the fly. Yeah. And it was also cool because, like, one of the voice actors um, was one of the characters in Breaking Bad. So, it was kind of interesting seeing him go from Breaking Bad to, to a kid show. show. Yeah. But, I don't know, it was fun. But yeah, well, well, yeah, that's the thing I was sort of say is, like, Comic-Con has so many different experiences that... I mean, I know we're going to be like, you should go if you can. And most people are like, I want to go, but I can't. The issue isn't my desire. It's it's the... the availability not even but, in the state for yeah the exactly or like you know it sells out in under an hour which is what it did this year but um yeah the thing about Concon is just like there's you really can't go wrong cause like you know um you were saying you were getting a lot of collectibles like the Devastator like I had no real interest I got like one Batman Superman key, Batman vs Superman keychain like I don't have a huge interest in exclusives but just ex- like there's so many things for me to do otherwise like Conan O'Brien was there and I'm a huge Conan O'Brien fan anyone who follows me on Twitter knows uh, so I saw him all over the place, and then, like, Last Man on Earth had panels, so I went to that, and then, like, I met uh, Chris Miller of half the duo of the Jump Street movies for Lord and Chris Miller, uh, and Last Man on Earth, and Lego Movie, he's the director and writer of that, so it's just, and the Han Solo solo movie that they announced, and, you know, if you're if you're a big fan of, like, Star Wars or, or, or DC Comics and you were willing to stand in line for 36 hours, you got to go to a free Star Wars concert or see the debut of a new trailer for Batman Superman and have Zack Snyder... Take the Batmobile, drive it to the line for Hall H, which is the big place where they have all these panels, in the middle of the night, and hang out with fans and greet them and take photos with the car. Like, these are crazy moments. Like, this is that's what's cool about Con Cons. You could be there for video games, you could be there for TV, you could be there for the collectibles, and you're gonna have a crazy re- weekend where you don't have enough time to do everything. Which, if you think about, when you have four days and you don't have enough time to do everything. And you don't obviously have an interest in everything. Like, that's insane that there's that much in one place. Yeah. You know, even walking back last night, uh, at the time of this recording, last night we were walking back from uh, Nerd HQ, which is Zach Levi of Chuck in here to be born. Um, he does this, basically a free mini Comic-Con next door. And we were walking back, and lo and behold, we just start walking past the Gotham cast. Like, they're just going back to wherever. It's just like, these are weird little moments that you never get in 
typical life. So, regardless of your interest, if you could somehow get to Comic-Con, I recommend you get to Comic-Con. And Nintendo uh, actually has a really great presence there every year. They, uh, they have a booth on the show floor, and then they do the Gaming Lounge, which is where we play these games I just mentioned, or that we just discussed previews of. But what was weird this year is that they didn't bring all their games. In the past couple of years, they would bring every game that's coming out before the end of, 20, uh, of the year. So in this case, of 2015. Everything. Everything. Maybe leave out... Like last year, they had the entire, the entire E3 lineup minus Splatoon. This year, they had six games. I, they focused really hard on Mario Maker. They had a couple uh, demo stations for like a couple of different tables of demos for uh, Triforce Heroes. But Mario Maker was the big push. The branding for the lounge was Mario Maker. The booth inside Comic Con was strictly Mario Maker. Uh, and then they had, you know, like a Koi Watch LBX Chibi Robo. I feel like it almost had. And, and, and they had Splatoon and Smash. I kind of got the impression. And Yoshi's, Willy World. Oh, and Woolly World. I forgot about that. But we talked about that last episode. So. But it, no, I, no, but it was. Yeah, it. yeah. I kind of got the impression. Maybe it's just me. That this year was geared more towards kids from Nintendo's side. There's no Star there's, Fox. There's no Mario Tennis. It's also the first time they had a, a few um, 13 and under focused tournaments. Yes. And every time they would have a live demonstration, they had a giant projector mm-hmm. where they would play Mario Maker. They would do like, like oh, here's us making a level. Here's us playing it. Yeah. Like, I'd say like the majority of their volunteers that they picked out to play were like little kids, like 12 and under. And it was really cool. Like, um... I was just like interesting. They seen the reactions. They're like, "Oh, what's your favorite Mario game?" Mario 3D World. And, and they'll say something like, um, "There was the one kid that said, um, Mario Luigi and the Paper Jam." That's not out yet. Yeah. And then um, the guys are like, "Oh, that's not out yet, but um, I bet that will be a really good game." <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like, what's your favorite Mario yeah, game? Of all yeah, yeah. And he just made up, or he just <laughs> pretended to have played it, <laughs> or was excited for it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was interesting because usually, and like Charles Martinet was there doing autographs, which we actually didn't take advantage of this year. But we've met him like I've, I think I've met him three times now. He was at E three a few weeks ago. But I, again, I was like, well, I've already met you. I'll let people that haven't met you have their moment. But, yeah. but yeah, um, he recorded us a podcast intro a couple of years ago. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to see Nintendo actually like they're honing in their marketing a little because it used to just be like a splatter shot at Comic Con, and now it's kind of like aiming at a specific demographic, which on one hand, that's great, because like, today felt like Kids Day at Nintendo's. Again, we're recording this on Sunday night, if anyone's confused what I'm saying today, and it's Tuesday or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it felt like Kids Day at Nintendo's booth. Like, you walk in there, kids everywhere. But last year, they had, like, a Bayonetta 2 stand, so they're definitely, you know, dwindling it down. With that said, the bummer is, because they decided to focus in on one specific type of gamer... Uh, that meant no Star Fox Zero, no Mario Tennis Ultra Smash. Rather convenient. Oh, and also, weirdly, no Animal Crossing stuff. They didn't have it at E3 well, either. they just had the Amiibos there. But yeah, but I mean, like, where's Happy Home Designer? Where's Amiibo Festival? Like, I said this the exact same point last episode about E3. Like, why, these games come out in, like, one of them's out in two months. Where, where is it? Or three months. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, so, um... Well, while Star Fox and Mario Tennis weren't there, luckily... We I can't critique what we can't play. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. They're probably not that good. Uh, but yeah, Star Fox, I did get to play at E3 as did, as Mario Tennis, so I figured... We didn't talk about it last episode, because I originally wanted us to have your impressions, too. But now that that's not possible, I might, I might as well talk about Star Fox for a few minutes. So, Star Fox Zero. Uh, got played at E3, like I was saying, and for those who aren't too familiar, they're doing this two-screen thing, where on the gamepad you have, like, a cockpit view, and it's first person on the TV, you have 
either behind the R-wing view or behind the lamp, behind the vehicle view, or like a cinematic view. And uh, to be honest, that two-screen setup definitely takes some getting used to. It there is a there is a weird disconnect that you're just kind of like, why why am I like over here and over here? And also, they now separate the R-wing's uh, ammo aiming from the direction your ship is facing. So it's kind of like going from like GoldenEye style first-person shooter controls to dual stick setup. That's actually exactly what it is. You're just moving over. So it's kind of, it plays kind of like Splatoon. Because you use the gyro to aim where you're shooting, and then the stick moves you. So it kind of, it felt Splatoon-esque, but it was definitely, there's definitely a learning curve. I don't know if you played um, the demo that I'm thinking of, but I saw footage of someone playing a level where it looked like it was on rails. Well, I mean... Well, uh, what was the environment? Um, well, they were, they were fighting a boss, and... Um, what the army was crab things climbing on a structure? No, it oh. was it was just like one giant robot. Oh, then it might not. And um, what the army was doing on the TV, it was just like kind of circling and like intertwining, like inter like interweaving through like the robot itself. But was but, this... but but the angle of the camera didn't really lend itself to do that. Yeah. To do that, so I was like, oh, okay, so it must be on autopilot. No. Nope. And all you're doing is aiming on the bottom because. There's no way you could control the plane and not crash the way the camera angle because it, it didn't really let you see in front of you. It was just like, yeah. it definitely looked more cinematic. So I'm like, okay, so I guess this is what they meant where the top screen is a cinematic experience and the bottom screen is like, yeah. No, you're controlling it. Well, are you thinking of uh, Red Robot, right? Red and gold? Or red and white or something? Uh, it was in like a Cornaria looking area, right? Like it had green mountains in the background, blue sky? Uh, Big robot? Red robot, but it didn't look like. I don't know. Because they introduced something new. The, the camera angle just looked really weird. Like, it didn't look like something that would be comfortable to control a plane in. It, yes, this is something new, and I don't know if I'm a big fan of it. It's, I believe it was called Target Mode. It's Flash Target Mode on screen. Um, I think we're talking about the same boss. It was yeah, on yeah. It was on a planet, not in space, right? Yeah, it was on a planet. Yeah, we're talking about the same boss. So basically, this Target Mode thing is there's now a... I mean, there sort of always was, but there's a lock-on, almost like a Z-targeting in Zelda... To, a, to certain enemies or bosses, which you could do, you know, you could charge your shot and pass uh, Star Fox and have lock on. And there's like actually like a Z targeting. So when it goes into this target mode, you're using that lock on thing to target the enemy. Meanwhile, you're having this crazy cinematic view on the TV that is not very useful. And at that point, you're going to use the gamepad, which is showing the R Wing view. And you can actually, you know, turn the gamepad and be like, okay, here's the boss and shoot him. So it's. That's weird. I. That was the... I actually ended up doing a secret that the Nintendo rep showed me where you could turn into the walker, the, the little chicken-looking guy, um, and kind of sneak in through a side corridor and then beat the boss, like shoot the boss's heart inside him. So I didn't do much of the flying around, but it was for the minute I did, it felt a little strange. You get used to it. Again, it took maybe half a level to get used to, but there was definitely a weird... Just kind of almost like... They made it overly complicated, I feel like. Because mm. I mean, even the controls, just like the controls are kind of all over the place because in a nutshell you have like the left analog stick is movement so you're controlling the R-wing up down left right meanwhile the um, the right stick if you push it forward will be a boost if you push it back will be a break if you want to do a barrel roll you double tap the right stick left or right then there's Y for somersault and then there's ZR for firing ZL for shifting the camera and it's just kind of like okay so if I want to do a barrel roll I, I flick the stick but if I want to do a somersault I don't flick it down but barrels flick left it just seems like, like I don't know, like, breaking should either have been on a button and then have all the, like, stunt moves on the stick or have none of the stunt moves on the stick. I don't know. It's just, like, there's a couple of things that are just kind of, like, I don't know if they 100% thought this through, but after, like, five minutes, it's no issue anymore. 
but it's just like that initial why why are they doing it like this but with that said it is actually really fun um once you do get the hang of it it, it works well enough um the one thing i didn't get tried i really wanted to was the gyrocopter which is that slower like little helicopter looking thing with the drone you can drop down the uh, direct eye and that's, that felt like, I was watching other people play it, and that felt like a proper use of the two-screen setup. Because when you're flying around the R-Wing, I found myself not looking at the gamepad except in target mode when I really had to look at the gamepad. When I was doing standard on rails, I was just like, oh, I'll just look at the TV and I'll just, just hold the gamepad. Yeah, I'm just playing Star Fox. But with the, with the gyrocopter from what I saw when other people were playing, um, the gamepad is the camera on that little drone you have tethered to. Or not drone, but the little tank you have tethered to it or whatever that vehicle is so you have the gyrocopter on tv and you have to monitor what it, what's going on with it while you have the drone eye actually or not drone eye sorry the direct eye actually kind of driving around finding secrets it wasn't super star foxy like it didn't have a very star fox vibe it's pretty slow it's kind of meticulous had kind of a zombie like multitasking thing going on like the backpack but it felt like the right use for the gamepad more than anything else so i don't know it seems like they're still they're still kind of working their way through it. Um, one interesting thing about the walker that I forgot to mention is you can't use it on your first playthrough of a level, according to the tempers I was talking to. You have to beat the level, and then the walker is almost encouraging you to go back and try and either best your score or find alternate ways to beat the level. So it's a way to pad the content. So level. does that mean there are going to be some levels that basically never use the walker? Since oh, the walker, yeah, the walker's not going to be necessarily in every situation. Like, cause for example, if you're flying over water or over lava, you can't just drop the walker down and expect it to work. No, I know, but yeah. I mean, like, because you made it sound like, there, essentially, none of the levels are ever going to use the walker initially. That No, that they're not. Not initially. So, that means... It, From my understanding, so that, if the rep was correct. So, that means there aren't any levels that have, like, that were designed with the walker in mind? There are, but what they're doing is they're double stacking the levels. So, uh, when you fly through a level... Yeah. It's also like It's almost like Star Fox Assault, where... If I remember correctly, they did let you beat it multiple ways. You'd be on foot, you'd be in the air. It's kind of... As long as you did X thing, you won, right? Sort of. Usually, you were only able to accomplish X thing by doing... By one of them. vehicle, yeah. Right. Well, I guess this... Yeah, I guess this one can be multiple options. There are multiple ways to be a level. It's kind of like the shortcuts I, 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 in 64. Guess, yeah, I guess that is more stuff of 64 than anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a better comparison. But, um... The walker's actually really fun to control. Like, it looks like a chicken, but it, it handles quite nicely. Um... And the other big thing about the... Well, first first I should say, I did play the Corneria level, which is like copy... Not copy-paste, but very reminiscent of Star Fox 64. And in talking with, um, you know, the Nintendo people and what uh, Miyamoto's been saying in interviews, it is somewhat of a remake, but it's also not a remake. Star Fox Zero is like a reimagining. So going through Corneria, it was definitely familiar, but they changed the layout. They have the walker now, so it does feel fresh. It just isn't like mind-blowingly fresh it's like it has like it, it has a tinge of nostalgia that's actually i kind of liked but um one thing i didn't get a try that i really wanted to was the um 3d sound that they're doing which we talked a little bit about last episode but i have a better grasp of what it is so um i didn't get to try it simply because e3 is loud like very loud like you can't hear a gamepad but basically how it works is on the gamepad it's doing all the um so our 3D effects of sound, so if there's someone shooting at you, to, on the left, the sound comes from the left, on the right, comes from the right, and then one of the three speakers, or I think there's three speakers on the gamepad, one of the speakers on the gamepad is strictly your um, headset. So for that one speaker, it comes in crystal clear. Meanwhile, there's like lasers whizzing by and left, right, and whatever. So I, wa I really want to try that, because that seems like kind of a fun thing, but I didn't get to 
actually do it. Um, what I did get to see, of course, though, was the graphics, which have been a bit of a hot topic among Star Fox people. It does run at 60 frames per second on the gamepad and on the TV, and when you're playing it in person, it does look really good, but it also has kind of that sort of basicness going on. And I feel like there are two issues with it. One is everything just looks kind of empty. Now, apparently this is because Platinum Games wanted to, the developers wanted to actually really ensure 60 frames per second on two screens at once, which requires a fair amount of processing power. So there's no doubt that as you're flying around, you're kind of like, gee, except for the ships that happen to be coming at me right now, there's not much going on. And I kind of made this point where we talked about the trailer. But when you're playing it, it's really apparent because you're just flying down like an empty corridor and there's like three ships coming towards you and then just a perfectly empty blue sky. And you're like, if I'm in a big firefight, where's... Shouldn't there be, like, I don't know, a second ship or something somewhere up above in the background? Now, to counter that, the Landmaster stage has a bit more going on. So I guess, it you know, they're probably still filling in as much as they can. Um, but in terms of why the graphics look as ge geometrically simple as they do, um, it turns out it's it was on purpose. Or... It was on purpose. What? It's like an homage story? It's an homage. Uh, Miyamoto was talking to Wall Street Journal, and he was saying that's because, quote, a lot of games nowadays look so realistic that they all look the same. So they're trying to sort of separate that a little. And um, it's also for the 60 frames per second, but separately Mimo has been saying to people that uh, it was for a throwback vibe. It was for nostalgia. And actually the Nintendo, the booth rep I was demoing with, who, you know, they hire just for these sorts of events basically, said that her first question when they showed her the game was, why does it look like the old one? Where the, why aren't the graphics better? And they said, well, well it is HD, but yeah, we wanted to go from the nostalgic look. So if you look at the character heads as they're talking, you know, like the little fox animation, yeah, I mean, they mouth. look basically like the N64 ones up which was a conscious... Well, that's a huge uh, understatement. They look much better. But it was a conscious decision to have them still be very geometrically Yeah, General hard. Pepper doesn't look creepy like he did in Assault. Yeah, yeah, they, they scaled them back on purpose. So, so overall, it's... Um, you know, it's pretty fun. I, I'm a huge Star Fox fan of the old 64 one, and this seems more like that. So I know you, Jose, you want more Assault sort of variety, but I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I really enjoyed my time with it. Going into it, it felt weird. Coming out of it, it felt great. Mm -hmm. So uh, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. Those, like, I'll definitely give it a shot. I mean, yeah. I'm like, there'll be many other things to play when that comes out. So. That's true. It is their big holiday Wii U title. But, or one of two, Xenoblade being the other. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty fun. It's, um, I'm curious to see if they figure out a way to streamline the controls a bit, but I, I suspect we're not going to see that. And that's probably, based on the E3 hands-on, that is probably what's going to hold it back from, from being, like, excellent reviews versus greater good reviews. But, but time will tell. The other game I got to play at E3 that was missing from Comic-Con for no oh, apparent reason was, I, I only keep going, at E3 I did this, I did, but I'm trying to give, like, it's a Comic-Con episode, but we're talking about games that weren't there. Uh, the other one was Mario Tennis Ultra Smash. Not a ton to say about this one, but um, really, I, I, the only, what they demoed were only single and double matches. You could be Mario, Peach, Bowser. I don't even remember who the first, fourth person was, but like there's nothing. It was one mat. What? Toad. Might have been Toad. Yeah. It was in the trailer. Yeah, then it was Toad. But yeah, you're in. It's one match and one stadium. You could do singles or doubles. That was it. And both were. Uh, both were fun, but we were limited to the Mega Battle mode, which is a new thing where um, the Mega Mushroom kind of shows up. It's in the trailer. Mega Mushroom just randomly shows up on the stage. You take it, and you, you know, you go Mega. And when that happens, you get this second, this super powerful shot where whenever you hit the ball, it's basically a guaranteed like fire shot, and it sends the other player way back. So it becomes very chaotic and very scrambly. Is 
you know, your teammates flying behind you all the way across the court. You're trying to run after the ball while you still can, and then you get hit, and yeah, yeah. And the uh, the game's main ultra shot itself is the other new thing they were demoing, which is a quick um, double presser of A and B, and this allows you for the first time ever to hit the ball back while you're in the air. So that's pretty much all there was to it. It was really fun. We actually had some good competitions going. We were doing, we were waiting in line for some other game, and we played like seven in a row. But uh, it's, um, yeah, it's it's pretty much just Martez. They even brought back like the chance shots, which I believe are a returning thing, where, you know, the ball's coming towards you and it has a landing spot. You know how it shows you where the ball's going to land? It's a certain uh-huh. color. If you go to that color and use the right type of move that matches that color, whatever they correspond to, like, oh, the ultra shot is red. If you do that, then it becomes a more powerful shot. Back. I mean, I hope it's because that's kind of a staple. But yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. That's it's back. Yeah. No, yeah, but it's always like a oh, blue. If it's if the circle is blue, that means you have to do a slice. If it's purple, that means you have to do an overhand. And yeah. It's funny because like um, when you when they say like oh it's the first time you could jump and hit a ball, my mind just says like wait no it's not you could have always done that but then I realized um it was one of the small characters that jumped and hit the ball because mm-hmm. I normally play as Baby Mario and. In March 1964. Yeah. And yeah, every time it's the purple shot and you press A and B, that's your power shot. He always jumps really high and then does it. But characters like Bowser don't even jump, they just swing. Oh, now he jumps. Yeah, so it makes sense. But yeah, it, I, and the thing is, like, it, it was. I know I'm kind of like, oh, it's just a matter. Like, it's very. It was a very basic demo. It's weird how basic it was for a game that's coming out in five months. But it was. Well, it is tennis. It was enjoyable. Yeah, and it, it was enjoyable. Like, it was. I kept going back to it. Partly because there wasn't much of a line, and partly because like it got competitive. And one interesting tidbit, though, it does not whatsoever use motion controls. Nintendo is demoing it with a Wii Pro controller, which is Wii U Pro controllers, but it will support Wii remotes, but not for motion. It's all button interfaces, which is a complete 180 from what Nintendo did with the last Mario Tennis. They even brought back. Um... They brought back Power Tennis with motion controls. Yeah, yeah as the Wii Classic thing. But yeah, this one, um, I think part of the reason is because it allows for more advanced move sets. Because, I mean, now you have, like, what, five different types of shot or something like that? So being able to do button combos, like, how do you do an ultra shot versus some other shot when you're doing motion? Do you, like, reach up and slam the Wiimote down? It makes no sense. So it's it's, it's good because it means you're going to get more of a, I think, more in-depth tennis game. There's going to be more to it. And you don't work out, you don't work up a huge sweat just trying to play Mario Tennis. Yeah, that is why some people play video games. It's, yeah, I guess. But, um, I mean, if they start, if they start getting too realistic, it's like, like, well, think about like a sports sim. Yeah. It's like a lot of people that aren't necessarily physically fit love the sport and want to play it, but like video games is like their favorite version right, of it. Right, it's Like, oh, now we have um, Project Morpheus. Oh, now we have the, these two things. Oh, oh the move controllers. Yeah, yeah. And then at some point, like, oh man, like, playing, Amer- um, playing, um, Madden on Project Morpheus is like so realistic, but then you start getting tired, and then at that point, you're just better off just playing outside. Right, I agree. And speaking of Project Morpheus, quick detour. Actually, let's finish up Mario Tennis, and then we'll do a quick detour. The final thing I was going to say about Mario Tennis, uh, really quick. In the trailer that they showed in the direct or the digital event, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I guess that's HD Mario Tennis. But when you're seeing it on a screen in front of you, it actually looks really good. Like, Mario's pants have really like intricate stitching. Like, I was very surprised by how nice it looked. So. If nothing else, it's going to be pretty, a pretty, pretty game. A pretty, a fairly pretty game. There we go. But yeah, you mentioned Morpheus. Uh, that, that, that's it for our game impressions um, from Con Con but we did also get to try the Project Morpheus out. It's kind of like the Oculus, 
but man, the game experience that they had set up. You did you did the puzzle game, right? You did Super Cube or whatever it's called. Super Hypercube. Super it's essentially Kessel's corridors, but you have to move your body around in order to see what the whole what the whole looks like. So right, to send rotate. the piece through. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I know this is a Sony thing, but whatever. It's it's cool tech, so we're gonna talk about it. I did um, the London Heist, which was the most gamified like experience I've ever had in VR. So basically there there's two segments. There's one where you're like a prisoner and there's another where you're driving a car and I uh I did the prisoner one so it starts and you're like in this room and there's this guy like basically threatening to kill you and you're you're on a chair. It tells you to sit down. So you're sitting down and you're on the chair and then he hands you a phone and you reach out for a phone the move controller, you press it, like the trigger button, and then as you move the phone towards you the voice gets louder. Like as you move the move controller up towards your face. And as you move the controller down from your face the voice gets fainter, like the speaker of the phone gets fainter and it, it just that alone I was like this is so weird because I'm like in the Morpheus I have headphones on but as I move my hand closer it's like I'm really moving a phone towards me and I'm holding a controller that's kind of shaped that doesn't have speakers but... yeah but it's sort of shaped a little bit like a phone like oh, yeah. it's the same verticality so it's just weird to be like moving a controller back and forth by my face and it's actually in the virtual world is doing the right thing and that becomes like this thing where you're like you have to look for uh, a gun in this cabinet tree or not cabinet tree like a desk with a bunch of drawers so you reach out and you're like opening drawers and it tells you you gotta stand up and you literally have to like it's like stand it's like you need to stand up to see beyond the desk so you actually stand up and that guy comes with a gun and you have to dig through a drawer find a gun and then with your other hand you have to load the gun by finding a clip and actually pushing the two controllers near each other and then you have to I was doing some weird poses I'm sure but then you have to duck and cover and shoot and it's like you know you're 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 trying to find a key to get a diamond while also trying to shoot a guy all again in an actual virtual reality where you're like on one knee leaning over trying to shoot a gun around a corner that you see in the Morpheus but no one else sees around you so when someone's watching well, you play it looks well, like you're just, yeah right. but, but I mean like it's no, like no, no, you, you look can't. like you're like a monkey no, yeah people look ridiculous yeah. yeah but it is so like I that was I've used the Oculus a few times the most immersive thing I did with that was walk through a house to demo Sonos like it's like oh in this room if you move the if you move your mouse to the left you walk into this room and it's playing uh, I don't know Frank Ocean if you walk over here to the right you're in the bedroom now and they're playing uh, I don't know Taylor Swift or whatever and that that was the most immersive thing the only other thing I've done with the Oculus is a pink elephant where you're on a rail like you're on rails and this elephant's trunk just swings back and forth to knock down blocks and you move the trunk by moving your head so playing London Heist by comparison was like oh this is why VR is cool I still don't necessarily know if I would play for like two hours straight and like disconnect from the world but like a 10 minute demo that was that was awesome and I mean there's still some issues like you were saying after we tried it that um you're talking about this the image quality right like you're yeah, saying yeah you wish it could be a little better but that seems to be an issue that Oculus has too yeah that goes with all of them yeah there's like almost it's almost like you know when you're in a movie theater and you're looking at a fil- at the screen and sometimes you're like oh this is clearly screen like there's like weird like lines on it almost like ever so slightly lines like you're you could tell you're looking at something on like a piece of screen the oculus at least the older oculus and the and the current morpheus prototypes have that same like film layer like it's also like there's like a texture on top of what they're showing you but it but besides that it works really well in the 3d looks good so that was our sony tangent of the day um let's talk some game announcements so, outside of Con-Con, some things were announced. Because, you know, we talked about a lot of big titles from Nintendo themselves. But now that E3's over, 
it's time for little guys to get a chance to shine. So first up is probably the biggest splash, and little guys I use relatively. First up is probably the biggest splash, which was um, Axis announcing last week at Anime Expo, which was another thing we went to, that uh, Zero Escape is getting its third entry. I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, it, it, uh, you're a huge fan. It's finally be revealed, according to... Right, yeah. right. So so the new one, for those who aren't familiar, this is the third game in the Zero Escape Saga, the first being 999. Uh, what does the 999 stand for again? Nine persons, nine doors, nine hours. Right, and then the sequel was uh, Zero Escape 2, or Virtue's Last Reward, Zero Escape 2. Volume 2. Volume 2, both of which, and see, the volume thing is interesting because these games aren't considered games, they're considered virtual, virtual novels, yep. where it's more of an interactive story than it is an actual game. Like, I don't know, do you all like this? For those who haven't played, do you all like, give a quick summary of what it is? Yeah, gameplay is really more just like reading, 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 um, <laughs> choosing. It's a like, book. <laughs> you, you make decisions, you do, you saw some brain teasers, and then there's a bunch of decisions. Like, you're having a conversation, and then there'll be a fork in the road, so to speak. There'll be Oh, do you want to do you want me to change along with you for this for the, in this room, or do you want to go on your own, or do you want to go with someone else? And depending on what you pick, changes the story completely. You'll mm-hmm. pretty much branch off into another alternate reality, and then it may work out. You may beat the game, or you may end up getting killed somehow. So then you have to start over, keep that experience with you, and then pick another path. So, how many different endings were there in, say, the original Nine Nine Nine? Like, are we talking dozens, or are we talking, like, six? No, there are dozens. Huh. And I imagine uh, Virtual Last Reward probably upped the ante. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, but there's only one true ending. Right. And and do they make it clear that this is the end, like, the yeah. canon ending, so to speak? No, yeah, it's called true ending. Oh, that, that is a good giveaway. So, I wonder how many they're going to put in Escape 3, because we don't even know really anything about the game. All they said is it's coming to 3DS and PlayStation Vita. It's going to be out, I believe, next summer. It's about a group of people who find themselves on, in the Mars test facility. And they were apparently doing something involving colony living on Mars, and something goes wrong, and there's some psycho- psychological issues that come up, and the game's kind of exploring that. And there's dogs. For whatever reason, I was watching some of the footage of the panel at Anime Expo. Um, we were at Anime Expo, just not at the panel. And uh, the, the team was very excited about the fact that there are dogs in this one. So, yeah. But uh, more to the point... I am kind of curious, like, how deep, how, how deeper they could go with this one. Because was psychology a big thing in the past, or is this a new thing for the franchise? Yeah. There, yeah, that wasn't a yes or no. There were two options there. New? Oh, or? no, yeah, there was. Oh, there was? Okay. Yeah, Because, yeah, I didn't realize it had the psychology element. I thought it was just, like, I know, like, you're talking to people doing, like, mind games, but I think it would actually be, like, psychological breaks. Like, what happens when you have a bunch of people in a test facility on Mars, like... That could potentially that might actually be what hooks me. Like that that sounds very interesting to me. But uh, but yeah, so far they're about fifty percent done with the game is what they're saying yeah, in the panel. And if you pre order the game um at Amazon it kinda hints that there is a pre order bonus for Virtual Dust Reward, you were able to get a replica of the watch that they attach to the participants of the donor game, which is mm. what they call it's like saw. You get people in a room you're trapped in there with them, and if you survive the, the games, you live. If you don't, you die. That was the premise of Richard Dust Reward? Yeah, for all of them. So oh, so so really, the fact that it's on Mars is the same thing, different place. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, first it was set in a boat. Next it was set in like a... I guess kind of like a facility made, made specifically for that. Right, right. Interesting. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this one, what it will do with Mars, or what kind of things they'll have them do. What's really interesting is like as of what, like a year ago, the guy behind the game was saying they're not making a third. Well, he wants to make a third one, but they they aren't. Like it's not happening. They don't have the finance, the resources to do it. And now here we are with Axis saying, "Oh yeah, just kidding, it's coming next summer." So for fans, that's super cool. Oh. But um, yeah. The the other big thing that happened these last couple of weeks uh, in terms of game announcements is an update on Pokémon. There was no transition there. It's an update on Pokémon Tournament, which in Japan is actually coming out in a few days on July 16th. They just announced like a week ago, so that's very for soon for Arcade. Uh, but it's been confirmed that there are two more Pokémon that are now going to be fighting in the game. You can have Charizard and you can have Weevil. Yeah, Weavile. I caught myself. Uh, Charizard is going to basically use his fire attacks, as you can imagine. He also has a burst attack that puts him into uh, his Mega Charizard X mode. And Weavile is going to do stuff involving slashing and whatnot with its claws. And it has ice and, I believe, dark. Ice and dark attacks. I'm actually really, really, really excited about this announcement because Weavile is... I'd say, like, my second favorite Pokemon of all time. Number one being... Chatop. Oh, duh, I know that. Yeah, like, my, well, my number... Someone's th- listening right now going, wait, what? Chata? <laughs> like, they Yeah. They, yeah. My, I mean, my number two spots, it's, like, kind of split. I mean, there's, like, six Pokemon that I really, really, really like. They're, like, all kind of vying for the number one spot, but Chata uh-huh. is, like, definitively number one. I mean, I also love Pinsir, Magmar, Magmortar. Uh, Are you a fan by any chance? Slurpuff. Are you a fan by any chance of Lucario? Machamp, Blaziken, Suicane, Gardevoir, Pikachu, and or Gengar. I actually dislike Suicune. Uh, well, all the ones I just said are also playable in the game, which is yeah. why I said them. Gengar was also <laughs> one of the newly announced ones. That was yeah, like Gengar. Really cool trailer. Yeah, that was like, what, a month ago? I don't think we covered it on the show because there wasn't much to say at the time, but... Yeah, yeah it's, bit, it's, 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 it's a much cooler reveal than Charizard and Weavile. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, looking back, his show is actually pretty good. But um, I'm, it's an interesting I'm, mix. Yeah, I really want to see... I'm still waiting for like the quote-unquote obvious choices that we may not even get anymore. Like, where's um, like Machan... I mean... Um, where's Hitmonlee? Yeah, there's a Hitmonchan. Like, where's Hitmonlee and Hitmorchan? Or maybe even um, Hitmontop or... Oh yeah, I forgot him on top. Hit or, him on top. You know, him on top needs a new name. Broke the chain. Yeah, Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Ken Top. I, who, I don't know who's top. Like, oh, he's, he's what just, kung he fu is, master is? He top? is just a top. Yeah, it's, it's just like, come on, Nintendo. You started your own. We went down one road. You can't yeah. just back pedal away. And I can't see them not putting in soccer throw. The ones that look like Muppets. Mm, right, right. No ones that look like Muppets. Yeah. Um... Well, I mean, they might add some of them as secondaries, cause there's or support characters are calling, which you kind of call into help. Yeah, but then they both. Yeah, it, it it really is just unpredictable, like who they're gonna add, just cause I mean you have like Pikachu fighting Machamp, fighting Weavile, fighting Gengar, like Gardevoir, Suicune, like a bipedal legendary. I yeah. thought they were even gonna touch legendaries, but I guess so. And then there are a ton, and then it's equally weird because the the supporting characters I just mentioned are also like a weird mishmash of some legendaries, some not. Like, there's, I think, what, Eevee's one of them, right? Yeah, Eevee. And Lapras, and Snivy, and Fennekin. Snivy. Like, Ivy. Oh, I was calling him Snivy. Like, like, he has like, sniffles. Like, like poison Ivy. I always called him Snivy because I assumed he just had a runny nose. He's a plant. Does he even have a nose for, to be runny? 
Does Snivy have enough? Sure, he has enough. I'm still calling him Snivy. I honestly, he should be named Smugly, which was the fan name, but that's okay. Anyway, but you know, all those, and then those are relatively normal characters. But then they announced that Jirachi and uh, Whimsicott, Whimsicott, yeah, are now also, yeah. and Jirachi at least is a is like yeah. a Mew status. So it's kind of interesting how they're just throwing everything in at random. I wonder how they pick those. Like it can't be like Smash, where it's kind of based on what fans want. It seems like it's just like on a whim almost. I mean, some of these are popular for sure. Eevee has become its own thing. Uh, the 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 Fennekin and Snivy starter groups have become their own thing. But it's just I don't know. Some of these are very bizarre to me. But but with, with all that said, the game actually looks great. It looks a lot better than when it first debuted. There's a lot. I feel like there's a lot more to it now. So I guess the real question now becomes how long until we get it on Wii U? Because if it's coming out in Japan for, I believe, what they call like the testing phase on July 16th, in theory, it could be on Wii U with six months from now. Why not? Maybe it's for I, I The only reason I don't think so is oh, because, yeah. yeah. The, the controller. The controller and the fact that the graphics are definitely Wii U ready. But are, are, do you think, I, mean, I feel like it, we probably not, we're not going to see it until 2020. 16 at this point, right? Because it's like... Definitely not. Yeah, I mean, this if you think about it, this year, they kind of have the Wii U as loaded up as they're ever going to get it. Because, you know, what we have? Yoshi's Royal World, Mario Tennis, Xenoblade, uh, Star Fox, Animal Crossing, and then next year, all they have is Fire Emblem, Cross, Shimigami Tensei, and Zelda. So if they do Pokemon in, say, Spring, Pokemon uh, Tournament, that fills a gap. So I, ma- I imagine that's what's going to happen. But... But still, it's the game's the game's essentially done if they're putting it in arcades three days from now, you know. Yeah. So so time will tell. But but yeah, I never I never thought they'd do hand in combat with Pokemon. Because mm-hmm. Pokemon stand for the longest time, they never showed any actual physical contact. Yeah, it was like very rare. Like I think the closest one was um, Battle Revolution, where some attacks actually had them like attack when you would actually kind of see them getting really close and yeah, touching. and then the camera would cut. But for the most part, it was just like an implied like, oh, there's this half. Well, Which is weird because it's not like kids like don't understand. Like it's, I, I feel like Nintendo's doing it, it's like we don't want to promote violence to kids, but meanwhile you're telling someone to like you're telling your Pokemon to essentially go rip the head off the other Pokemon. Like kids will, I don't think showing it's going to make that big of a difference in terms of like whatever message they're trying to send or not send. But, but that, that, whatever, that's just my own aside. Uh, actually, here's an aside, speaking of asides. Did you know that Pokemon Shuffle is now coming to smartphones? They're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be called Pokemon Shuffle Mobile. And since we're talking about Pokemon, it, it, it reminded me. But, um, yeah, they are bringing it to iPhone and, and Android. And it's going to be like, they're taking the two 3DS screens and basically putting them into one vertical yeah, screen. to be the norm for the... Yeah, and it makes sense, if you think about it, because, I mean, the game's been downloaded. I think the Pokemon company said something like 4.5 million downloads of it on 3DS. So they know they have a hit on their hand, but they're limited by the 3DS audience. So if they go to mobile platforms, it kind of... It makes too much sense. It checks all the boxes of Nintendo's goals with mobile. The stuff that, you know, Iwata used to say were the key points of, um, you know, of their mobile plan. Like, it has the idea of, like, it's gameplay that fits a mobile device. It's literally Candy Crush, or not literally, but it's basically Candy Crush. It uh, uses I, their own franchises in a non-standard way, so it's not going to cannibalize mainline Pokemon games. And it's going to entice people to check out the main franchise if they like what they see. So it really does hit all the marks. All they really need is Nintendo Network ID integration to really be like one of the six Nintendo games for smartphones that are coming between now and 2016. Yeah. Or end of 2016. So... 
Well, we'll see if the integration will be there. I don't know if po- I don't know if it's... let me restart that sentence. My brain's a little fried because Comic Con. I don't know if Pokemon Company is doing this independently of Nintendo or in tandem. So I don't know if this will actually be one of the games Nintendo's doing with D E N A and whatnot, or D N A with the E that you don't say, yeah. or and whatnot. But still, it's 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 interesting that it's happening. It's coming relatively soon, sometime this year. I suspect since they already announced it, it'll probably be this summer, maybe early fall, but. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna download it. I really love the 3ds one. I mean, Shuffle has its flaws for sure, but it's super fun 3ds, and to have it, have it anywhere would be actually really nice. So we shall see. And it's it's pretty much ready to go. It's already a free to free to play or free to start, as I want to like to call it, um, game. So there's not much you know, Nintendo can turn a profit off it pretty easily. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, you know, while we're on the actually while we're on the topic of games are switching games are switching uh formats there's a trio of indie games that are doing just that that i figured we should mention since we've talked about we were fans of all three games we talked about on the show before so it's probably worth mentioning uh the biggest is is shovel knight is getting a physical release this was rumored right for a3 and yacht club games denied it and now here it is and not only is it real but yacht club games is self-publishing it the physical release which is kind of cool you don't see that ever from indies so um the decision was made because they downloaded over seven hundred or over seven hundred thousand copies of the game have been purchased across various platforms. So now they realize that maybe there's potential to actually have this be a real physical thing that people can buy and can be exposed to people who don't go to the shops online. So they on October sixteenth will be releasing a box version for Wii U, three D S, Xbox One, and PS four, and if you're in Europe, PC as well. And it comes with a full instruction manual like games of yesteryear. It uh, has all the content already in there, and the upcoming Plague of Shadows expansion and a 50-level challenge mode will be available as free downloads for those who purchase the physical copy as well as all of us who have the digital copy. So in all, what you're getting is actually a ton of stuff, and I believe this is coming to current Shovel Knight too. There's the full campaign. There's the Spectre Knights campaign. There's the King Knights campaign. There's a battle mode for up to four people. That's kind of like Smash Bros. Shovel Knight Edition. With, and they're going to have multiple stages, play, multiple playable characters, and multiple sub-modes. And there's what they're calling a body swap mode, where you can actually just swap around. Like, do you want this, like, Shovel Knight be a woman? Do you want Shield Knight be a guy? Do what you want. And on top of that, this is the most interesting thing. They're teasing some sort of Nintendo-exclusive content being added. Amiibo? I don't know if it's Amiibo or what, but if you think about it, Nintendo, we got it first, we being the Nintendo community. Shovel Knight was oh, exclusive for... Yeah, yeah, Shovel Knight was exclusive for a while. That went to Xbox and they did Battletoad Boss. That went to Sony and they did a Kratos tie-in. Yeah. So now it's coming back around to Nintendo. And they're saying that... Uh, here's the direct quote. It might not be quite what you expect, but keep an eye out for another, in all caps, Megaton announcement soon. So I don't know if it... For some reason I'm thinking Mega Man. I know it's not Nintendo directly, but Mega Man has very close ties to Nintendo World, especially these days with being in Smash. Megaton is not something you just kind of casually say. It's already somewhat inspired by that generation of games. It makes sense. Unless they literally mean like something that's going to hold a lot of weight, like... But, <laughs> yeah, well, like, maybe like, well, like a little 8-bit Link or a little 8-bit Mario. Yeah, some. I mean, it could be something like that, but they said it's not what you ex- to, see. They said it's not what you expect. I'm trying to think of something mind. that would fit with the game, like where it would literally just be a scale. Uh, Link from Zelda Two, because yeah. literally that's the uh, town straight out of Zelda Two. 
But yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think it's gonna be Myers or Link because that's too obvious. And he said it's not what you expect. It's, it's gonna be something. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be the guy from Star Tropics. <laughs> that that uh, oh. that entire game that that one release that people really, but, really wanted in yeah and then never happened but yeah I don't know if I'm gonna personally I don't know if I'm gonna double dip on um, Shovel Knight I mean I have it I'm getting all the same content but and the thing is like I don't like I don't really like when companies do this I understand it's not like they're being greedy they're just they they release a game they don't know how it will do and then you see it does well and they realize there's potential for a physical release because you know you have to then pay the retailers and it's a whole nother and distribution it's a whole nother process. But it's just kind of annoying when, like, you know, New Super Mario Brothers had the new Super Luigi expansion. And if you bought it digitally, you got it two months earlier than physical. I'm like, well, I want it. So I bought it digital. Or, like, NES Remix 1 and 2, they did the digital dual, or the physical dual pack. I had NES Remix 1 digitally. I'm like, well, I don't want to double. I'm paying for half of what I already have. So I ended up getting the digital version, but I wanted the physical box. Because yeah. I prefer physical. Like, it's, it's just kind of like. Yeah, it's no one's fault. It's just kind of an annoying thing to see, but but yeah. It is but it's cool for Yacht Club games that they actually got, you know, the game did so well that they could actually do this. Like, a qu- three quarters of a million is not not an easy feat for an indie developer. Hmm. And the game's super good, too, so that helps, too. And while it's not quite as major of a move um, as a full retail release, another favorite of ours, Gunman Clive, is also making a move from 3DS to Wii U. So, the game's developed by one dude, and he has already submitted the HD collection to, of what he's calling Gummin Clive HD Collect. Okay, that was redundant. He's already submitting the combo of Gummin Clive 1 and 2, which is what makes up HD Collection, to Nintendo's lock check for release. Uh, they found some bugs, they worked out the bugs. So, it, it should be coming soon. It's going to be full 1080p at 60 frames per second, which I imagine for a game like that, it's going to look really cool because of that unique art style. So, uh, I, I really, really liked the first game, and I didn't yet get the second game, so now I'm just kind of sitting tight, and I'll get the HD collection, because that one, different systems, not that crazy. But, uh, yeah, did you ever... Do you want to play that duck already? Yeah, I do want to play as that duck. Did you ever get Coming Clive? I don't remember. Uh, no, it's not really my, my cup of tea, Basically but... Mega Man. But, but always, um, I know he, he enjoys it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's, it's, um... What was I gonna say? It's still really impressive that's one guy, and he made it so affordable too. It was like two or three bucks. So I, I imagine the HD collection will be somewhere around there as well. Um, the the there's one final one final transition that's happening. Zeno uh, Zeo Drifter from Reggae Kid is also jumping to Wii U, as I think was previously announced. But the the perk here is cross buy support. So whether you already you know they're working out, they already worked it out. Oh, did they? They worked yeah. it out while we were at Comic Con. Basically, there's an issue where uh, if you already own the 3DS version, you weren't going to be able to get the Wii U version for free. You won't be able, you, you couldn't retroactively cross by. And then uh, they have since announced that, just kidding, you can retroactively cross by. We figured out the hurdles to resolve it with Nintendo. So, mm. so that's cool. So for you, basically, because you have the 3DS one, right? Yeah. So for you, you get a free Wii U game. Copy. Mm. And, and I hope this leads to more people jumping in because... You, you like... I seem to remember you liking it a lot, right? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's basically a Metroidvania. Yep. Yeah, because what... Yeah, it's basically the best to describe it. I mean, we played the... Uh, we had to play it, it again on the... Pretend a little bit on... Back to the uh, Indicade. Oh, uh, Indicade. No, not, not Indicade. Yeah, um, back to the A3 at the Indicade. The Indie Mixer, yeah. At A3. Yeah. Jules got to chat with him about it a little. Yeah, and he uh, he actually tweeted like I'm hoping more people jump in because he actually tweeted that um, 
when the 3DS version launched in Europe, week one of all European sales were barely equal to day one of North American sales for the game. So hopefully the cross-buy helps drum up some interest, because like, Renegade Kid is such a strong supporter of Nintendo, and they put out so much quality content that it'd be a bummer if you know, they started having issues. So. Yeah. so if you're a fan of Renegade Kid, this seems like a great deal. I, I would jump on it. I'm going to jump on it. So, yeah. But beyond just games, um, we also have some fresh Amiibo news, courtesy of some late-published E3 interviews that Nintendo had with various people. Yeah. And uh, the good news is, we previously talked about on the show... Um, Concerns that Amiibo are kind of overrunning every Nintendo game going forward. And that, you know, it's going to be like, oh, there's going to be paywalls of plastic, basically. And if you want to use... You know, what happens one day if it's like, oh, I can't wait to unlock the secret world in Mario. Oh, the only way to get it is to scan, like, seven different Mario Amiibo. Like, that's probably not a thing, because... Uh, or at least it seems like it would be less likely that that's a thing. Because speaking of Kotaku, uh, Shigeru Mimo was saying that for Star Fox Zero, at least... He doesn't want to do any sort of lock content behind those plastic paywalls. He was telling them that um, he basically wants to give a small little perk to people who already had the Amiibo. So they're going to make a full game and then maybe throw in a nice little thing for those who have it. Which is similar to what the director of Zelda Triforce Heroes was saying. Uh, Hiramasa Shikata was saying to IGN that not every game Amiibo fits in. His direct quote was, there's no reason to shoehorn it in. So, like, literally, our E3 episode, we were talking about Amiibo Festival, and we were like, oh, yeah, it seems like Nintendo's going to go all in on this, it's going to get ridiculous, and now we have both Miyamoto and a younger developer, who's kind of more of the future Nintendo, both saying, no, 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 we're not going all in, we're doing it when it's appropriate, it, and when it's not appropriate, well, then we'll just go step away, it well, doesn't have to be What do you think there. will be, like, decals for your Arwing? Oh, in, in, in Star Fox? Um, alternate costume, decal for your Arwing? Something like that. Maybe um, maybe a different Arwing design. Hmm. Like, I mean, it'll look the same, but just, like, the paint scheme could be different, or it could have, like, some little flourish on it. You know, there, there's ways they can make it work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but... Well, I mean, what, what, what would your dream... Like, what would your sort of thing be, like? I don't know. I mean, I kind of like the whole aesthetic thing. I kind of like what they did with Yoshi's Woolly World. I thought yeah. that was, like, perfect. I think that's extremely clever, how they had, they had like, what? Like forty different Yoshi, no, like sixty different Yoshi. Like just designs. give the Arlings like um, character inspired paint jobs, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a good way. That's a good like in tandem way of handling amiibo. Because you could have like some games like Amiibo Festival require it, so then you buy the amiibo for that. But that's like, oh yeah, by the way, you have amiibo. Here's a crazy looking Arwing, or like in Kirby and Rainbow Curse earlier this year. Congrats, you get a power up that normally you can find anyway. But we'll just hand it to you right now, and give you a hat. A DDD hat. So, you know, it, I think if they keep this tandem going... If they keep them going in tandem, it'll be fine. If they start doing what they're doing with Splatoon, where every game... Which it sounds like they're not, but if they were to start doing what they're doing with Splatoon with every game, having some sort of locked content, then we might have a problem. But, but yeah. Spe you know, speaking of uh, um, Amiibo, Dark Pit was announced for here in the U.S. He is... Uh, yes, he is exclusive to Best Buy, and what's interesting is Best Buy is changing how they do their stuff. Actually, a lot of retards have been doing a lot of Amiibo stuff lately. Target had, like, everything available. I think the shortages are ending. Rosalina was available for over 24 hours. Jigglypuff was available. It's still available. Yeah. For 48 hours. Like, it's nice to see this happening now, but then Dark Pit, on the other hand... Uh, no online pre-orders, no in-store pre-orders. If you want at Best Buy, you better show up on July 31st. So, um, yeah, good luck, everyone. Good luck with that. Now, now I know you 
Because uh-huh. I take a different approach with Amiibo. For, well, I don't know, it just kind of worked out. Um, before, I guess, all this started breaking out, I had Palatino, Dark Pit, Zero Suit Samus, and Ganondorf already pre-ordered in Europe. Yeah. And luckily, or I guess kind of cool that because they've been, they've been becoming more readily available, the prices for them have actually been dropping a lot. Mm-hmm. So I still only ended up paying for them like what I have would pay, what I would have paid if I had bought them through Target because of their annoying shipping. Yeah. And so I canceled Ganondorf because I figured it would probably be common like Shake. And I kind of forgot about them after a while, and then they ended up shipping along with um, the, your, your your plastic little boy that you finally have. I did get my nest. That is true. I got my nest and came a week and a half earlier than planned. Yeah. But yeah, Amazon UK actually followed through. And now I have a, a Palatina Dirt of Samus and Dark Pit, and I'm just really happy I got them because now it's like, oh, I don't even have to bother. I just don't want to have to bother with any of the exclusives, even if it means like going out to the store and looking for them. I just really yeah, like which is kind of like, and I feel like a lot of people are starting to go that road where it's like, oh, well, I could just buy, like, why would I go to Best Buy, and, like, if that's a Friday the 31st, I believe, why would I go skip work or school to go stand for a figure I might not even get because I don't know how many they're getting, yada yada, or I could just pay two extra dollars or five extra bucks and import it. Yeah. Like, I think Nintendo, I think Nintendo needs to rethink some of that simply because, like, NOA is going to lose sales to NOE, which is... I mean, granted, it's all Nintendo at the other day, end of the day, but you know, each subsidiary has their own goals and whatnot that they have to meet. But, but more, but also more to the point, um, I think the amiibo shortages are actually ending. Mm-hmm. I know I kind of said that, but like, Target had like seven amiibo marshmallows available. Uh, DDD and Ness were available at GameStop. Like, it was kind of ridiculous how many amiibos suddenly popped up on I think this past Friday. Yeah. Like we might, we there might be a light at the end of the tunnel, for real. I said that when talking about uh, uh, Animal Crossing in episode two ago, because it's like, well, if they're building, building a whole game that requires Amiibo, but this just further solidifies that. Oh, it's awesome, because like, we got to see a bunch of the Amiibo at, <coughs> at Comic-Con. Like, we, we, did. Saw, we saw Rob, we saw Falco, we saw Mewtwo. And that was the world debut of the Mewtwo prototype. Yeah. yeah. All of them look so nice that you're just like, wow, I really hope I get one. Like, I really want my American Rob. But Game & Watch looks great. Yeah, I love the like it. Uh, I love the swappable ones. So good. Yeah, so Mewtwo looks nice. So definitely look. No, yeah, Mewtwo's very smooth. I mean, they all, they all look really nice. We will have photos, everyone, up on Ramtown.com sometime this week, uh, the week of this recording, a gallery of everything at Comic Con, including photos up close with Mewtwo and the Amiibos. So uh, keep an eye out for that photo gallery. I just had to throw that plug in because we're talking about them. But yeah, that that exactly. that's happening. That's happening. That's a thing that is happening. Yep. Um, you know, I did mention uh, Triforce Heroes a minute ago, talking about uh, Hiramasa Shikita, or, yeah, Shikata, the game's director. I think I said that right. And, you know, there's a weird thing that happened the other day, other week, where IGN interviewed him at E3 and asked him a question of, you know, they basically were like, hey, so Triforce Heroes kind of feels like an MMO or one of those equipment-driven games, and in all those games you get to pick a gender, so why not Zelda? And he basically, he starts saying, well, you know, the story's about, like, Sledge of Prophecy, and there are male, three male characters that fulfill it, because it's, like, three links, yeah, yeah. So you don't get to pick your gender, because their storyline says you're a male, so we're going to make you a male. And then they kind of push, iGen kind of pushed back, which was odd. And then he said, uh, <laughs> he basically was like, I, I hear you, I get what you're saying, but, you know, we have females on the team, and they don't mind playing as men. And also, Link's kind of effeminate. 
<laughs> like he basically said like uh, Link isn't the most masculine guy in the world and that was the direct quote um, the whole exchange just felt weird I understand you know I understand political correctness gender equality the fact that half of Nintendo's fans are women and probably will play as someone that best represents them but why why can't games just be about games and again like why is this like I, I mean I, I get it on some extent I'm sure I'm a little biased because I'm a guy so there's a, you know there's only so much I can always so much my viewpoint is but like uh, but is this just is this just me or is this a little overkill that they're like why is Link when he's playing 3 not a female variety it's like why are Mario and Luigi I'm playing hey so uh, Mario and Luigi Paper Jam looks fun but I see there are two Marios one Paper and one not and one Luigi now how come how come the Paper Mario isn't Marionette how come it's not a female I don't understand because it's Mario guys there's, these are Links we play four swords it's Link split in four what if three have to be a female what Oh yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah I, or I don't like know. you know, yeah, just like any, like I don't know, you could pretty much just do this with any game. Like it's just, and I get again, I get it that like half Nintendo, like I sort of said, half Nintendo's user base are women, and Nintendo's definitely in games where they can have a roster that expands beyond just a certain character. Splatoon, both genders. Mario Kart, almost fifty-fifty in terms of character selection. Uh, maybe like forty-sixty in favor of male. Smash Bros, most female fighters ever. Like, Nintendo is definitely doing stuff, so it's weird for IGN to be like, hey, we want to talk about Triforce Heroes, but we actually don't want to talk about the game. We're going to call you out on the women thing, and when you tell us it's a plot point, we're going to tell you that's stupid. That's Just, just ask about the game, guys. You're, we want to hear about the gameplay. We want to hear about like some of the interesting ideas behind the gameplay. We don't really care why Link is now suddenly shouldn't be male. I know, it's funny, because whenever I play like a Zelda game, like, I don't even really think of like Link as... Like Miller Fume, he's can just kind of he's just an avatar. Yeah, and it's even more so in this game because he's just like like oh it's just a character. Oh, what costume do I want this character to have? Yeah, they have the costumes where you can dress as like a, his gender, as Zelda. Or as like, an, I mean, yeah. Link of all the Nintendo characters has like I don't know, like the generally matters. Which I guess you could argue like oh, so more reason why you should have a female version, or but it's also like I don't know, it doesn't really. Seem and kind of flipping it other way around I don't see anyone like saying uh, Metro Prime 2 Echoes for example was there anyone going okay I see there are four Samuses but I'm a man I need like a male character I can't play as a female character like that doesn't again I'm not trying to be well those who want to play as a woman because I get it games are so masculine driven or have been for so long there's so much like testosterone dripping off on that kind of you're kind of excluded and alienated I totally understand that but not every single game needs to have both genders and every, um, everything I don't know like Metroid Prime Hunters I wonder like Candon Silex Trace um Weavile 2 yeah um oh and Noxus like none of them are explicitly like male or female except I think um Silex but I wonder how like how many people just like assume like like oh like it's like six male characters and one salmon it's like one female character most yeah I mean like, they could have easily gone either way our culture is like, wired to go with male by default not just in games like in general yeah. when someone says oh uh, I love that comic book about that hero you don't think oh the hero's a woman like you know it's like oh did you hear about that awesome uh, mountain climber went to the top of Everest by herself you be like wait by herself 
Like, that's just, for some reason, our culture is wired that way. And yeah, that is a bit problematic in terms of, because, you know, we are 50-50 populated. Actually, there are more women than men in the world. But it's just kind of like, not everyone has to always be catering to everyone. It's okay. It's okay. Like, no one's watching Fast and Furious and going like, you know, there should really be a squad of all women. And I don't think that many people are seeing the new Ghostbusters being filmed and going like, there should be a group of all men. Like, I'm I'm offended. Like it just, actually no, Ghostbuster got some backlash. I take that back because you know the new Ghostbusters all is an all women cast. Why were people going like just go watch the older films? Yeah, I see exactly because that's like you have like it's the gender. I don't know. The the Zelda thing kind of annoyed me because like he gave an answer. He said it was a plot point. IGN said he was going okay, great. We want to learn about the totem mechanic. Tell us more. Where it's just like well, we're disappointed in your decision. It's like that's not you're not there to be disappointed. You're there to provide information to ha- to be a uh, conduit for information for us. So, I don't know. That's a, that just struck me as very strange. But yeah. I, I just had to share. Also, I have to I have to say, though, um, an answer of the females in our office don't mind <laughs> is probably not the right answer either. No one did the right thing in this situation. Because it's like, I'm sorry, but however many women are in your office do not represent the whole it world. It reminds me of the whole um, Zerosa Samus costume. It's like, oh, no, don't worry. Um, females designed this costume. Yeah, the preemptive damage control. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's sometimes I feel Due to like, a male's orders. What? Due to a male's orders. Oh, yes, yes. Sometimes I, sometimes I honestly feel like we have reached a point where it's just getting... Like, people are just knee-jerk reacting for, reacting for the sake of it, but... And not just, not just the women. I mean, in general, everything. Everything's a controversy now. It's it's dumb. Which is, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's dumb. But anyway... Everything um, is controversial. It is, everything yeah, is. Everything There's nothing is. that's not controversial. Like, nothing. I can't think of a single thing. Why are you drinking coffee and water? Why not Aquafina? Trying to make something controversial? Well, it's your water. Or no, it's not. I bought this at Comic-Con. I took it all the way back to LA. Uh, because that's what was handed to me against my will. But you know what? You know what? When I ordered it, they should have said, do you want Aquafina or do you want Kirkland? And I would have been like, actually, I want the third option of uh, Dasani. See, like, you can't cater everyone. There's someone that's going to want something else. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, this is where the podcast gets awkward. So, <laughs> so as we said at the top of the show, uh, unfortunately, Sterla has passed away, and we're about to talk about things he said during his shareholder meeting a few weeks ago when he seemed to be perfectly fine. So, I, it's weird because, like, we talked, about his, we talked about him, and we went into, like, a normal episode, like, no big deal, and now we're back to talking about him but like not in the same I don't know it's I think I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that he's gone because that's just bizarre to me but anyway he did say some interesting things about the future of Nintendo and he he himself may not be steering the ship since he's unfortunately no longer with us but he had a team it wasn't just him alone and I think that team's gonna steer the ship and I imagine whoever they eventually fill the role you know whoever the new CEO is ultimately or president um I imagine it's going to come from within. It sounds a very conservative company like that. They're not going to bring in an outsider, most likely. So, I suspect everything he said in the show is probably true, which is why we're kind of talking about it. So, there's really just two things to cover. Um, the first is just um, E3. Like, he covered... Going, coming out of E3, there was a lot of negativity, which, you know, actually is really unfortunate, given, like, you know, 2020 hindsight. But it kind of sucks that his that the final E three that he was involved in was not the glorious 
last year, 2014 E3, where Nintendo was, like, the winner of the show. But, you know, that's, that's circumstantial. But anyway, um, someone, one of the, during the shareholder meeting, they, they do this yearly, and actual, any shareholder can go to this meeting, from my understanding, and ask, ask a question. So someone basically was like, what happened at E3? And Iwata, much like um, when he tweeted, kind of acknowledged the fan disappointment. He said, yeah, we, we know. And he basically said that they recognized that they let down online viewers, especially the avid fans. And, uh, it, you know, because they showed things, they didn't show everything that people expected. And he went on to say that with that said, if you look at E3 as a thing, not just as an event for announcements, it actually went quite well, and I think he's right because you know there was that there was no pizzazz in the lineup this year, and there's some disappointment in what was announced. You know, Metro Prime Federation Force got a huge backlash, but the Town World Championship was hugely popular. Trios Live was watched very heavily. Their booth was buzzing, and people seemed to be enjoying themselves. Like when I was there, their booth was super active, and everyone looked really happy. And if you look at E3 as like a series of announcements, it wasn't that great. But maybe we're looking at E3 wrong. Maybe. This is me talking, not I, not I want anymore. Maybe E3 is just a celebration of Nintendo, in which case it was a very solid year. Announcements, eh. Celebration, sure. And if you think about it, that vibe kind of continued at Nintendo's gaming lounge at Comic-Con. Again, some games we thought were going to be there weren't there. Some things we expected didn't happen. But there's definitely an energy in that room. Like, people were enjoying themselves. It was certainly, not to, like, you know, do console war stuff, but it was certainly busier than Xbox's lounge when I popped in there. And, um... Ooh, we got held up. Oh, snap. But no, it's just kind of like, maybe maybe we're looking at E3 wrong. Maybe I was kind of... The point he made was a valid one in that... Here's Nintendo kind of just being like, we're celebrating our fans, we're celebrating our games, we're, here's everything we're going to do for the next few months, plus some fun events. If you look at it that way, it's like, alright, that's, that's reasonable. If you look at it like, why don't I know every single game is coming out in the next two years, it's going to be awesome, where's the NX, where's the mobile games, I don't understand... Then you'll be disappointed. So maybe we as fans should just shift how we view it a little. The other stuff he talked about was the NX. Or hints of the NX. So the one thing that everybody asked at E3 and everybody asked in interviews and everybody's going to keep asking uh, is what's going on with the NX. And based on comments that Iwata made to, to the investors, it sounds like perhaps the NX is actually a third pillar. Remember when the DS was first announced, and it was like the, the Game Boy, the Game Cube, the Game Boy, the GameCube, and then this new third pillar for the DS, basically meaning if it bombed, they had an out where they could just continue the Game Boy lineage. No, it sounds like they're doing the same thing, because he he said that it would be inefficient to stop releasing games for the 3DS or Wii U right after the launch of the NX. Like they're gonna live in tandem for a while. So as such, they're discussing. I'll just read the quote. We are discussing within our internal development teams as well with second-party developers we co-develop software with and also with third-party software publishers about how to continue creating software for Wii U and 3DS. So this is interesting. I don't think Nintendo has done this before because what they're saying is instead of just trying to split themselves across multiple platforms, they can have other people basically do the work for them on one system while they focus on the other. And we're kind of already seeing it. Uh, Eurogamer was reporting that Platinum Games, along with Star Fox, is also doing Project Giant Robot, which is still a thing, apparently. Uh, and Iwata said in the Q&A about partnerships um, that they met with people at E3, and they are potentially... There are, here's the, please consider that there are various ongoing projects below the surface. 
So it really, really, really sounds like Nintendo's actually saying, okay, we can only make X number of games. So how about instead of us trying to spread ourselves too thin, we just bring in other people. You know, they can gear up for NX internally, and then everyone else does everything else. And if you look at Comic-Con, they totally did that. I mean, LBX and Yokoi Watch, those are both level 5 games. NOA's translating. NCL and its development teams. Skylanders basically felt like a Nintendo game. Skylanders is basically a Nintendo game. But yeah, like, NLC had no involvement in uh, Yokoi Watch or... or uh, LBX at this point. And then, like I said, Skylanders is there. Uh, you know, Next Level Games is doing the next Metroid Prime instead of Nintendo. Or I guess that would have been Retro, so that's right count. But Yoshi's Woolly World was good field. Namco Bandai's doing all the Smash Bros. DLC. Star Fox and Giant Robot, like I said, are Platinum games. Really, the only high-profile Wii U game left from Nintendo is Zelda. And I guess Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival, which is very not big budget. So it, it seems like Nintendo's internally gearing up for the NX. Like, they have their ducks in a row. They have other people. Even, like, Shin Megami Tensei across Fire Emblem, that's Atlas making it. Nintendo's just giving them the assets so and some advice. So Nintendo has all their ducks in a row to really, like, go big with NX. It sounds like they're already starting to um, spread the word about it to third parties. Yeah. That, yeah? Yeah, there's still something concerning the whole rumor. Oh, well, yeah, give me one sec. I was about to bring that up. But I was going to say that uh, Fortune was saying that Miyamoto... Fortunate interview with Miyamoto, and they casually dropped him in the interview that Nintendo's already been discussing NX at E3 with third parties and reactions have been positive. So, as as cryptic as can be. But yeah, the one thing that's uh, potentially troublesome is the power of the NX. And this is something that uh, the guy that runs Unseen64, which is that great site about canceled games and beta games that never came out and that sort of thing, who has all sorts of contacts in the industry, was saying that he's pretty much 100% 100% guaranteeing that the NX will be less powerful than the PS4. So, Iwata's approach of uh, innovation over raw power seems to, at least in the NX, be living on. And uh, it is, I mean, honestly, it is a bit of a status quo at this point for Nintendo. Like, I know for you, because you were saying you kind of want, you were telling me, like, you know, when we were hanging out, that you kind of want to move away from, you want something more powerful, right? Well, I just want something more powerful. Like, I mean, I'll definitely, like, still get NNX eventually. Yeah. It would just be what I want to stick with my priorities. Because I always feel like I'm missing out on a bunch of games. Because I do want to play a bunch of games. Like, I eventually got a PS3 and I started catching up on a bunch of games I wanted. And the PS4 side is already growing. So, I don't have a PS4 yet, but I do have access to a PS4. So, I uh -huh. still want to play... Like, I mean, I just got Alien Isolation. There's, um... Surprisingly, a Shonen Jump game that I really want to play. Like, Jump Blossers. Just because, um... Did those just be for DS in Japan? Um, there's, like, a PS4 version that... I guess it's just a new, more updated version. You're, ah, you're, okay. you're thinking Jump Superstars. I think it's Jump Superstars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is, like, a bunch of, good, like, Transformers Devastation. That's not even coming to Wii U at all. Right. Um... I, I gotta play that Con Con, yeah. actually. It's pretty fun. It's very Bayonetta 2, wonderful Wait, one. Games, yeah. yeah. So it's just like, um, while those games are going on, like I may want to get, it may determine like, okay, do I want to get the PS4 first? Yeah. And then get all those games so I don't fall too behind because there's also another Tales game coming out too for PS4. Or should I get the NX and then potentially not, like, it'd be nice to be able to get these games on the NX in tandem so that I don't fall behind. But if I'm going to be falling behind again... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe wait for the library of the NX to grow a little. Yeah, no, that's Maybe. not that crazy. I mean, the, the thing is, like, 
it's kind of a gamble to for Nintendo to even do that. I mean, like ignoring your personal issue, like just the idea of like it worked for the Wii. Having an underpowered system worked great for the Wii. It did not work at all for the Wii U. There's zero third party support, and even if third party reactions are positive, it doesn't mean they're going to support the thing. So yeah. I don't know, like. Yeah, I wa I've always said in the Q and A that they can't say much more because they're they're worried the idea might be stolen, which is kind of a line he's always used. But um, I I don't know where this is gonna go. I'm curious to see, but it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how this pans out with Iwata no longer at the helm. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I still can't wrap my head around the Iwata thing to begin with. That's crazy. But but yeah, that pretty much um, that's that's pretty much all we have in terms of news. Um, I am really curious to see what what X turned out to be, but I have a feeling. I know they said nothing till twenty sixteen. I have a feeling going into the fall, we're gonna start getting the trickles of information. They might be rumors, opposed to like you know uh, well sourced rumors. But I just have a suspicion that we are not really gonna wait till next year to know what the NX is about. I mean, Wii U leaked a month before it was announced. Project Cafe, remember that? Oh, yeah. So you know, it's just. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. But in the meantime, we have a Robin Amiibo giveaway. The first of our full summer of giveaways. Summer giveaway series. So, uh, we got a lot of entries, and we appreciate all of them, so thank you to everyone. What we did is we took all the entries from Twitter and from the Nintendo comment section and put them into one big bucket, and we pulled a winner, and our lucky winner of the Robin Amiibo is a Twitter user... Uh, at Flaming Flares, who goes by Deflares, I think I'm saying that right, Deflare or Deflared Z with a lowercase Z. Let's hope so. Uh, either way, that that is the winner. We did not do a drum roll. I just kind of casually said, it. but yeah, that's our winner. So congratulations. We will be hitting you up with a direct message to get your info and get you that prize. And if you missed out on that one, guys, no worries because it's summer giveaway series all summer. So what we're doing this episode, we're gonna give away two copies of the excellent SteamWorld Dig for Nintendo 3DS. There are download codes. You'll be able to play it in its entirety and do your SteamWorld digging. So uh, you can right now leave a comment on episode 102 at Ramtown.com um, to enter that, you know, as one form of entry. And if you do that, tell us your favorite HAL Laboratory game in honor of Satori Water. So, which, you know, because that's where we started out at Nintendo. So, let us know which game from HAL. It could be Smash Bros. It could be Kirby. It could be, you know, any of those. Which one's your personal favorite? And if you want to say why, feel free to say why. Or, separately, we're also going to be doing, similarly to the last contest, we're going to be doing a Twitter giveaway where you can literally just retweet a special tweet we'll have designated. And we'll put out reminders as well. So, it's comment or tweet. You'll be put in the same bucket. And we're giving away two prizes this time. And we have a lot more this summer. A lot more games. We have uh, another rare Amiibo coming up. So you don't want to miss any of that. Um, if you do do if you do the Twitter route for the contest, make sure to follow us at Ram Nintendo and then do the retweet. You gotta do both to enter. Uh, also follow at Ram Nintendo. Make sure you don't miss our next episode or Comic Con Photo Gallery, which is coming later this week. Uh, if you're curious about what we personally are up to in the game world or otherwise, I'm at JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is at Wero W I. W-E-I-R-O underscore O. That's also his Miiverse handle, which, by the way, Miiverse is getting a big makeover soon this summer. So, we'll be sharing. They're, they're basically shifting around some of the terminology and putting a new emphasis on play journals with screenshots versus uh, drawings. They're separate things now. Mm. Completely separate. So, yeah, we should see how games, like, current games 
integrate into the new Meverse. But anyway, you can fi find uh, Angel there as Wero. You can find me there as Jason R. And yeah, make sure to follow us. Good luck in the contest. Congratulations to uh, DeFlaris for winning. And uh, on one final note, um, I guess I guess let's, I know it's at the end, but we, we we're dedicating this episode to Mr. Iwata. And uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see you guys in two weeks.